We aren't meant to spend most of our time in survival overdrive or irritated, anxious, fearful, vulnerable, or fighting, or in the aftermath of feeling exhausted, depleted, spent, and down. Again, survival mode is meant to be a short-lived reaction, but we're in it chronically. Fatigue from feeling chronically stressed further reduces our empathy and our ability to act. So it's not productive in the face of a crisis. So how do we get out of it? From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, on health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Aviva Ram, and I'm so excited to be here with you for my first solo episode of my new podcast on health. And what I'm sharing with you today is actually based on a letter that I had written to my email list a few months ago that got so many responses. 50,000 people opened this email based on the subject line, how to thrive when all you feel is turmoil. And I got so many emails back. Dr. Aviva, I needed to hear this right now. Dr. Aviva, I feel so seen and heard. People sharing the crisis that they had been through recently. We had so many emails that I had to actually ask my customer community support person to help me respond to them. So I want to share this with you today, and I hope you find this nourishing and supportive with some tools that you can use also if you're feeling like you're in turmoil, whether it is due to personal things going on in your life or the bigger picture of what's going on in our world right now. Even before the pandemic, we were facing a cultural epidemic. It's got a lot of different names, anxiety, depression, overwhelm, burnout. I'm sure you've known the feelings. Your heart races, your breathing gets shallow, you feel a lump in your throat, a hollow feeling in your chest. You might feel like the world is crashing in on you. You may become hyper aware of everything that's going on around you. It's commonly known as fight or flight mode. You may also sometimes find yourself in another version of this freeze mode in which you just can't get mobilized. You feel stuck. And then there's even another mode called fawn mode in which your people pleasing self goes into overdrive. It's a survival mode because fitting into our tribe or culture was necessary on an evolutionary basis for safety and accessing food and shelter. These are all examples of ancient mechanisms our brain has created for our survival, and they emanate from our stress response system, more technically called our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal or HPA axis. The responses that get triggered, which in addition to the ones I've just mentioned, also include increased heart and respiratory rates, enhanced blood flow to the brain and muscles, increased release of glucose to the muscles, and insulin to mop up that glucose after the response is through, all of which are designed to activate our ability to run or to fight. Enhanced peripheral vision, which allows us to be more aware of the dangers in our environment 
reduce blood flow to the gut because right now it's not the time that we need to focus on digestion. Our energy is being sent to more immediate concerns and other responses, all of which are meant to help us survive in a threat and are meant to be short-lived, like minutes to hours at most. But for the past couple of years, for most of us, it's been activated at a low level nearly constantly with stronger hits of activation occurring all too frequently. This response is often called survival mode because that's what it's there for. But when we're stuck in survival mode, the chemicals coursing through our blood, especially adrenaline and cortisol, telling us to run, hide, freeze, fight, turn more to foe than friend. While for a hot minute, these reactions can serve us well. In the extreme of examples, we can run from enemies, escape charging lions, lift a car off of someone. We can also, on a more daily basis, resist bacteria and viruses, think clearly under pressure, meet tough deadlines, and compete marathons. But when we're in survival mode day in and day out, and especially when that mode is activated by things that don't bring us joy or satisfaction or even a good challenge, our well-being and our overall health pay the price. Long-term, chronic, or sudden significant stress can all lead to what's called allostatic load, in which survival mode goes into overdrive and can take a very real toll on our health, affecting our hormones, the neurotransmitters that keep our mood feeling good and our brains working well, and lead to inflammatory responses and changes in our immune system that make us less resistant to viruses, and bacteria. Allostatic load creates wear and tear on your body. In fact, cortisol, the primary chemical behind the stress response, is nicknamed the wear and tear hormone in conventional medicine. All of this can lead to us getting sick, physically and mentally. And on top of that, high allostatic load is associated with worse health outcomes. Too often, we assume stress, anxiety, fear, and agitation are just how we're wired personally, or just who we are. But it's not just you. We forget that we live in a context that is creating these responses, because we live in a world where we often feel that our survival is chronically threatened, and it's taking a toll so much so that there's a name for what we're collectively and individually experiencing. It's called crisis fatigue. It's a normal response to an insane moment in our world. So what can we do? First, let's understand crisis fatigue a bit more. Then I'll share my personal resilience building practices, some tools that are known to be helpful for weathering the storms when they're swirling around you. And it's been swirling around most of us for at least the last two years. Crisis fatigue is the response to the prolonged stress that develops due to unexpected or difficult events such as war, economic depressions, or a pandemic. It triggers the HPA axis to put you in survival mode, leading to the snowball effects I've already described, and which I also lay out at length in my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. It's allostatic load due to traumatic social events. These familiar issues that so many of us are facing are examples of factors that can lead to crisis fatigue. Climate change news economic depressions, pandemics, political instability, natural disasters, experiencing racism, ageism, and other forms of isms. A person may experience stress due to a direct impact of the crisis itself. 
due to secondary consequences, for example, losing one's possessions due to a natural disaster or having to relocate because of fires in one's community, which actually some friends of mine have just had to do. They literally had fires that went all the way up to their yard and just managed to spare their house because the fire department happened to spray their house down first, but their entire community lost their homes. We can also experience trauma indirectly, which is called vicarious trauma. And this can come from anxiety and empathy caused by reading or watching the news or having incidents occur in one's local community. For example, one changing their personal behaviors like going to the movies or going to concerts because of fears of gun violence. So it can be in your community or in our global community at large, and it causes us to feel this vicarious crisis fatigue. And remember, any one of the factors that I mentioned can cause crisis fatigue. Most of us are dealing with many, if not all of these simultaneously and have been for a sustained time. It's a recipe for allostatic load and all kinds of fatigue, including crisis fatigue. Even prior to the pandemic, at least one in four women was already on an antidepressant. About that many were on anti-anxiety medications and half of all women were having diagnosable levels of sleep problems. When we add in hormone, gut, and autoimmune problems, that moves the dial up to about 99% of women feeling the stress physically or emotionally in one way or another. We also know that prior to the pandemic, healthcare workers were already experiencing epic levels of burnout. In fact, at that time, in the beginning of 2020, I was scheduled to teach a workshop I was going to be leading for a weekend intensive for health practitioners with my colleague and esteemed psychiatrist and trauma expert, Dr. Jim Gordon, at Kripalu on burnout and crisis and trauma fatigue for healthcare providers. Oh, and just to add to that, the crisis uh, fatigue and burnout experienced by healthcare providers is significantly more for women than for male healthcare providers. And this is associated with the fact that as women, due to oxytocin and how we're biologically wired in our brains to perceive the experience of others and to be more empathic and empathetic and compassionate, we actually may feel vicarious and direct trauma more than our male counterparts. On top of it, this short and also long-term HPA activation creates vicious cycles in which we do things that actually add more burden to our well-being. So we tend to eat more sugar, drink more alcohol, binge watch more TV, and often until we're going to bed too late. Then we don't sleep well and we're too tired to exercise or get together with friends and do the other things we need for our health, like take long walks in nature or do the basics like eat balanced meals or floss our teeth regularly. While crisis fatigue is not recognized as a medical diagnosis, it is a recognized phenomenon, and those experiencing it may have very real mental or physical symptoms. Further, not everyone experiences crisis fatigue in the same way or to the same degree. Here are some of the ways crisis fatigue may show up. 
There can be physical symptoms like fatigue, insomnia, physical tension, loss of appetite or increased appetite, especially for comfort foods, body aches, digestive problems, headaches, hormonal problems, and increased frequency of getting sick. It's also common to have exacerbations of existing problems like more herpes outbreaks if you're a herpes carrier or more autoimmune disease flares if you have autoimmune disease, new onset of autoimmune disease or worsening high blood pressure or blood sugar problems, and more. Emotional symptoms, particularly symptoms of emotional exhaustion, can look like feeling emotionally fatigued, not feeling like socializing, feeling detached, helpless, anxious, irritable, angry, depressed, or cynical. You may have a sense of apathy or a lack of motivation. There's actually something called willpower fatigue that can accompany this and is a result of the chronic exposure of cortisol on the frontal cortex of the brain where we have executive function, decision-making, and willpower and motivation. So it may be harder to get motivated to do those things that you previously enjoyed doing, like exercising or being creative, doing your job at your best level, or even showing up for your job at all. Also, eating disorders are more likely to become exacerbated and substance misuse or abuse is more common when we're feeling this way. Certain individuals may also be more vulnerable to experiencing crisis fatigue. This includes those who are on the front line of crisis, like healthcare workers or other crisis workers, those with a history of trauma, past, current, or ongoing exposure to discrimination, a prior mental health condition, financial uncertainty, lack of safety or stability at home or work, grief or loss, or social isolation. We aren't meant to spend most of our time in survival overdrive or irritated, anxious, fearful, vulnerable, or fighting, or in the aftermath of feeling exhausted, depleted, spent, and down. Again, survival mode is meant to be a short-lived reaction, but we're in it chronically. Fatigue from feeling chronically stressed further reduces our empathy and our ability to act. So it's not productive in the face of a crisis. So how do we get out of it? The antidote that allows us to get out of survival mode, allostatic load, and crisis fatigue, and back into thriving, is spending more time in what's called parasympathetic nervous system response by engaging our vagus nerve response. This is the calm, peaceful mode that resets us from the impacts of chronic exposure to adrenaline and cortisol, and that helps us ramp up production and release of the hormones and neurotransmitters that restore our sense of emotional well-being, connection, control, and calm, while healing the physical damage and restoring our nervous, endocrine, and immune systems to a healthier baseline. It allows us to once again feel resilience and even hope enthusiasm, and joy. How do you know when you've activated that mode, the resilience mode, the vagus nerve mode, the parasympathetic nervous system mode? It's the feeling you experience when you let yourself take a nap when you're really tired, when you finally deeply relax when you're getting a massage, or the peace you feel when you lie in shavasana at the end of a yoga class. It's also the feeling you get when you're in flow or in your zone, that creative place where you're so engaged in something that you're passionate about that you lose yourself to it, forgetting time and space. 
This restorative mode helps us recover from the wear and tear of daily life and times of stress, and it literally resets our mind, mood, and our biorhythms. Like everyone else, I get stressed out, activated, mad, sad, or overwhelmed too. So I've been really, really, really making the extra effort these past couple of years to take more and better care of myself and the people I love. What I'm about to share with you are a wealth of tools for weathering the storm when it's swirling around you, as it has been for most of us for at least the last two years and for many of you listening a whole lot longer. There are quite a few tools that I share, so don't get overwhelmed and feel free to hit pause and come back. I love bringing all of these practices into my personal daily life as much as I can. Sometimes they are daily and many of them are second nature to me. And some I bring in on an as-needed basis, and it truly does make a difference. So I welcome you in joining me in making any of these 11 tips, or all of them, into your life on a regular basis and perhaps even daily. One, hit pause more often. Most of us don't take time to hit the pause button often enough or at all because in our productivity-driven culture, and with very real work performance and economic pressures on us, we think we can't or shouldn't. But intentionally taking time to recuperate after an unexpected stressful event or regularly in times of crisis can mitigate the impact and help us nurture resilience, literally meaning the ability to bounce back. So think of stopping as a spiritual practice and something to be done daily even if it's just in the form of five-minute breaks during your workday. And think of creating some extended time off on the weekends. It's vital to create more you time. The great feminist poet, author, lesbian, Black activist, Audre Lorde, said, Self-care is not selfish. It is an act of radical self-preservation. Self-care is not selfish. It's a radical act of self-preservation. Your work won't suffer for it, I promise you. In fact, you'll likely find pretty quickly that you're more creative, more energized, more inspired, more effective, and you'll have the longevity you need for the work you love in the long run. So here are a few ways that you can hit pause and shift into calm. Simply breathe slowly and deeply for three minutes before you get out of bed in the morning, before you pick up your smartphone, and again in the evening before sleep at night. If you want to go even one step further, do some slow, deep breathing, even for just one minute before you eat your meals. You'll have better digestion, you'll enjoy your food more, and you'll eat the amount that's actually more appropriate for your needs rather than what happens with so many folks, right? We, we just don't even remember what we ate or our food tasted like after the meal because we've shoveled it in so quickly because we haven't hit pause. So make breathing slowly and deeply a practice that you use regularly in your life. And if you want to go even another step further, I offer a practice called the quickie. So if you just search my name of Eva Ram and put in the quickie, it's not what it sounds like. It's a, a really beautiful deep breathing exercise. And it's also in the reels on my Instagram page over at dr.avivaram. Another favorite of mine is to take a relaxing hot bath in the evening. And if you don't have a bath, you can still do this in the shower. Simply get a nice essential oil that you love. Lavender is very relaxing. 
I like deeper notes like amber and sandalwood, which are very grounding. And you just put five to seven drops either right into your hot bath. And if you're taking a bath, you can add one or two cups of Epsom salts for deeper relaxation. But again, if you just have time for a shower or you only have a shower or you don't enjoy baths, and I, I personally am a shower person, so I do this in my shower. Take five to seven drops and put them onto um, a washcloth and then toss that washcloth under the, the shower where the water's hitting the shower floor. And that aromatherapy will start to rise up in your shower in the steam. So you'll have an aromatized shower and that is really relaxing. And you can do that every day. We can give ourselves time for a shower every day. And you can just simply keep the essential oils in the shower and make it a part of something that you just always do for yourself. Some other things that you can do are attend a yoga class. Now I'm going to talk more about sweating it out and how that can really bust stress, but you can also do a restorative yoga class, which can be deeply replenishing. If you head over to my website, avivaram.com forward slash 170, because this is episode 170 of my podcast, even though on health is new, the numbers are still continuous from um, Natural MD Radio. If you head over to avivaram.com forward slash 170, you'll find an article accompanying this podcast, which has lots of links in it. So you can scroll down, look for the word yoga. It'll take you over to a restorative yoga class. I also love Glow. It's just G-L-O. It's Glow Yoga. And I have no financial relationship with Glow. I use Glow for my online yoga classes and they offer many different types, including restorative yoga, hatha yoga, if you like hot yoga. So you could do an online class if you are unable to access one in your community for any reason. And this is so important and something that I think we forget so often, but spending time outdoors, ideally in a more expansive natural setting if you can, but even if it's just taking a quiet lunch walk, you know, at work or sitting in a, in a sunny window, if that's all you can do, experiencing nature in our eyes and in our senses is really grounding and healing and restorative. It's a very different mindset that it puts us into than staring at a computer or doing more narrowly focused work. So even if it's just when you leave work, if you're working at a job outside your home and you're walking to your car, take a minute and look around. Again, get out for a walk on lunch if you can. And then on your times off, find a place. Even if you live in a city, there are almost always places that you can get a good walk in nature and make that a part of your life. Also, and this is really important, try to build a few mental health days off from work into your calendar. It can really make a difference to have those to look forward to. And a lot of workplaces now allow for some mental health days or self-care days. So find out if your workplace allows that. If you work for yourself, as I do, it can sometimes be really hard to remember that we're allowed to also hit pause, but we can hit pause. And this is so important. Number two, get enough sleep. Having resilience and moving out of crisis fatigue is almost impossible if we're living with a sleep deficit, and half of all American women statistically are. 
We need a minimum of seven hours of sleep a night. And as an end note to that, a maximum of nine. So seven to nine is the healthy sweet spot. If you're needing more than nine, you might want to check with a healthcare provider about that. And if you're not getting as many of seven, we want to work on that. So that's the optimal sweet spot for, for optimal health. When we're not getting enough good quality sleep, we want to be waking up refreshed in the morning, our cortisol can get really out of whack. And when it happens, it can affect almost everything in your body. It disrupts your thyroid. It disrupts your female hormones. Your microbiome can actually get jet lagged, and so it can affect your digestion. It affects your immune system functioning. It also affects our mood, and it leads us to be more hangry and cranky during the day. So what are we going to do? More coffee, more sugar, more quick carbs. So it's really important to improve sleep. And again, over at avivaram.com forward slash 170, I link you over to an article of mine on improving sleep. I actually have several on my website and also a couple of podcasts. And in my books, Hormone Intelligence and The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, depending on which one you feel you need, if you're having more hormone problems, Hormone Intelligence, that also covers thyroid and adrenal. Each of those books has a full chapter on how to improve your sleep from sleep techniques and sleep hygiene to supplements and botanicals. But basically to improve your sleep, it's really important to make sleep a priority. You want to think about getting in bed at the same time each night and trying to wake up at the same time each day. And here is one really, well, two really critical factors. Like if all you take away on this about getting good sleep is these two things, these can really make a difference. One is turning off all electronics ideally an hour before you go to sleep. If you can only do a half hour, do a half hour, but that 30 minutes at least is really important. The blue light that's being emanated from our electronic devices disrupts melatonin production. And yes, some of the dimmer functions can help on our devices, but it's still disrupting our melatonin. And melatonin is the counterbalance to cortisol and the impacts of cortisol affecting our cognitive function and our brain health. Our brains need to detox when we're sleeping. We have glands in our brains called glymphatics. These literally drain out the metabolic and toxic byproducts that have been coming from our brains and all the work our brains do all day long, and also inflammatory factors that get from our bodies into our brains across the blood-brain barrier. So when we're disrupting our melatonin, we're not only disrupting our sleep, but we're disrupting this important detoxification that really helps keep our brains healthy. So turning off the electronics, A1, mission critical. Another, and this is probably not gonna make me your best friend right now, but it is so important and I'm telling you, I do this for myself and it is one of the biggest recommendations I give to my patients. My patients are women. This is especially important if you're, I'm gonna say 35 and older, and that is, drum roll please, skip the alcohol, especially in the evening. Even a glass of red wine, even a glass of organic Northern California Cabernet red wine has been shown to disrupt circadian rhythm. Now you might be thinking, but Aviva, I have such like long, hard days and there's nothing more I love than that glass of wine or two or three at night. And it really does help me go to sleep. But the thing is, even if it's helping you fall asleep, there's a good chance that your circadian rhythm is still being disrupted. So you may wake up during the night you may find that you're more groggy the next morning, or just in other ways, it's showing up that you don't even realize the connection. So 
substitute that evening alcohol for maybe a walk and then a really nice glass of herbal tea. And again, I have lots of sleep recipes, herbal tea recipes in my book, on my website, and over in my Instagram feed. And hit the hay a little bit earlier, reading a lovely book that helps you relax and get to bed on time. Number three, pay more attention to your inner life. Paying more attention to your inner life can help you more quickly recognize when you're shifting from calm to chaos to crisis fatigue. And then you could reverse that. You can roll it back by using meditation, breathing, and other forms of hitting pause and other skills that I'm sharing with you to bring you back to center. It really helps to have a touchstone of how you want to feel so you can reclaim that place of calm more easily. This can be in the form of words that you say to yourself like peace, ease, or spaciousness. And in fact, in the quickie exercise, the breathing exercise I mentioned, it's a breathing meditation and mantra combination. And I use the phrase, I am at peace to help bring that calm, to return that calm, but also it becomes a touch phrase. I love the term spaciousness. It's a, it's a term that I live by because to me, it means that things aren't closing in on me. I'm not overwhelmed. I have room to, in my imagination or literally, put my feet back up on my desk and put my hands behind my head and take a deep breath. I have room to fix myself a lovely meal or take a little walk. It can also be a mantra that you use to feel calmer. You might have a mantra that you love that becomes your touchstone. So you say it often enough and create a sense of calm with it that when you say it, you more quickly get back to calm. And one tool that I really love is finding a visual memory that's connected to an emotional feeling, like recalling a place or a time that you felt calm, happy, caring, joyous, in flow, or however it is that you want to feel. Visual memories can include something like a beautiful vista or a sunset you experienced, someone who made you laugh, a baby giggling, floating in the ocean or a pool, relaxing in a hammock, the feeling at the end of yoga class. I'm going to encourage you wherever you are right now to take 30 seconds to tune in and connect with how you want to feel and a time and a place you felt that way. As you let your imagination move in that direction, really take in the sounds, the scents, the sights and feelings, and use this moment to anchor it in as a touchstone so that when you feel activated, you can pull yourself back to calm. And remember, the crisis will not last forever, as in this too shall pass. So go ahead, just take 30 seconds, breathe into that feeling. If you can close your eyes, great. If you're listening while you're driving or doing something, just keep doing it, but take that 30 seconds, nice a few slow inhales, exhales, and connect in. Okay, and if you close your eyes, you can open them again. Number four, keep your blood sugar balanced. What's blood sugar got to do with it? Well, when your blood sugar is low because you're running on empty, your brain thinks you're in a crisis. 
That's because your brain uses 80% of the energy you get for food just for basic functioning. We're not even talking about rocket science here. Aside from carbohydrate and sugar cravings, when your brain starts to register that it's low on energy, this causes you to lose focus, energy, and mental clarity. Keeping your blood sugar steady throughout the day is a secret to a focused mind, steady mood, and all-day energy. How do you do it? Make it a habit to eat within an hour of waking up and eat a snack or a meal every three to four hours depending on your personal metabolism. And stick to the right foods. Every meal or snack should include a high-quality protein combined with a high-quality fat. So, for example, a piece of salmon has both nuts, have both a hard-boiled egg on some sourdough or gluten-free toast and an avocado for breakfast, for example, has both. And make sure to avoid super low-carb and no-carb diets because those actually can be a trigger to activate this survival mode and crisis fatigue. But do keep your carb choices healthy, like whole grains and healthy starchy vegetables like sweet potatoes and winter squash. Again, Hormone Intelligence has an entire chapter for you on how to do this and five different weeks of meal plans that allow you to make it really easy for yourself. Number five, do media fasts. Crisis fatigue is fueled by media overload. While fasting is all the rage in the health world, I think we need to be talking more about media fasting, intentional times where we just step out of the 24-hour news cycles, which we so easily get sucked into, and the Instagram surfing, which doesn't improve our health or our ability to make a meaningful contribution. In fact, they sap both of these because it chronically keeps us in anxiety and crisis fatigue, not to mention FOMO and all the other things. You can still stay up to date with a daily news summary from your favorite media outlet instead of doom scrolling, and you can set boundaries around when you're tuning into crisis events. Consider a mid-afternoon media check-in instead of starting or ending your day with crisis news or ingesting it over a meal. Start your new approach to media fasting with a three-day media fast. You'll feel the difference in your mental well-being pretty quickly, and that'll help you reconnect with your commitment to keeping boundaries around media day in and day out. Number six, move your body. When I'm stressed out and overwhelmed, sad or irritated, nothing soothes me more than putting on some music and dancing my ass off. It always brings me perspective and release. And no, I don't care what I look like when I'm doing it. Moving, stretching, sweating, getting physical in any way you love can be transformative for moving out of momentary stress and for shifting out of crisis fatigue. And it's free. So set a committed schedule for yourself, even if it's just three days a week. And if you're having a hard time getting motivated on your own, buddy up with a friend, a neighbor, or a coworker and join a class, but find some ways to get moving. My secret weapon for exercise to really move out of crisis fatigue, if you feel like you can do it, is get a weighted hula hoop. There's something about a hula hoop, at least for me, that brings me back to my own New York City childhoods. And when I first started doing it, I could not help but giggling. I put on great music and I just really, really go for it. I love hula hooping and it's considered phenomenal exercise. 30 minutes of hula hooping is equal to 30 minutes of taking an aerobics dance class. So think about that and you can find them online. Number seven, set more boundaries. Part of how we get into the constant overwhelm that keeps us from hitting pause is by saying yes to too many things and too many people, partly because we have a difficult time saying no. 
Further, the pandemic has drastically blurred boundaries between home and work, downtime and work hours, and has even brought remote work to the dining table, bedroom, and other places at home that would have previously been restful non-work spaces. So set some boundaries, which for women can be hard because we're programmed to please, serve, and say, yeah, sure, I'll add that to my list of a million things to do. Full stop. Make sure your hours and days off are really days off. And check this out. Did you know that it's illegal in some countries for bosses to even write employees after work and on weekends? Yes, illegal. So set boundaries between your home and your work time. Take the work off the dining table, off the kitchen counter, or your bedside table at the end of work hours. Set up away messages and turn off all notifications on your phone and anywhere else they appear. I personally can tell you in 100% truth, I have zero notifications on any devices. The only notification I ever get is when my computer needs an update. I don't get Slack or Asana on my phone. I don't even get email on my phone. I'm really busy and I have a lot of people trying to reach me and connect with me. So I know that if I can do it, you can do it too. So again, set up away messages, turn off all notifications on your phone, and especially the programs that you might be using that are connecting you to work when you're not even supposed to be at work like Slack or Asana and put down the electronic devices during your off times. And next time you're about to say yes to something, pay attention to see if your inner self is actually saying no and learn to listen to that voice because it's your inner truth and knowing it's after your best interests. Do you need practice saying no? Do that starting now. And if you're not sure how to do it, I've got guidance for you in my mini masterclass, Fear to Freedom, Perfectionism to Peace, which you can learn more about over at my website. I told you there are a lot of options here. I've got a few more for you. So again, anytime you need to hit pause and come back, you can. But I really want you to take these in because when you think about it, even though it sounds like a lot of options, these are all basic things like getting movement every day, keeping our blood sugar balanced, making sure that we're getting enough sleep. These are second nature things, the ways that create wellness and that I hope you will take to heart to live by. Okay, number eight, phone a friend. There's a reason it feels so good to call a friend when we're feeling anxious down or just freaking out. UCLA researcher Shelly Taylor, PhD, has identified this as the tend and befriend stress response, which she and her research team believe is how women have sought to protect ourselves on an evolutionary basis. Put simply, it goes like this. Being pregnant or having small children around would have likely prevented women from running away from danger or from being physically able to fight and still protect the babies and children. Gathering physically together for protection may have saved us. So we instinctively want to gather when we feel threatened or vulnerable. And I know there are many times I have felt saved by my best girlfriend or any number of my friends being on the other end of the phone for me. It's thought that what's happening is that along with the adrenal stress response chemicals, adrenaline and cortisol that get pumped out in a stress response, the body produces a small amount of oxytocin in response to threat. Sometimes called the cuddle hormone, oxytocin triggers us to bond with others, which helps us feel safer and calmer and interestingly also boosts our confidence. By connecting with another person, we amplify the oxytocin release, not only for ourselves, but for whomever we're reaching out to. So instead of feeling badly for calling a friend when we're in need, we can remember that they're getting a boost too by connecting with us. 
And you can bet on it that if you're experiencing crisis fatigue, so are some of those that you're close to. And though it might work better when we call another woman, this technique works with and for men too. Here's how to shift from your stress response into tend and befriend mode. Connect with a friend on the phone or take a walk and talk it out. Studies show that verbalizing our concerns automatically turns off the sympathetic nervous system. Ask a friend or coworker to join you for a walk. Even being together in quiet can still boost your tend and befriend response. Do something social. You don't need to discuss problems to get the benefit of social bonding. You can go to a cafe and chat with someone, head to your local yoga class and make time to chat before or after. Or if you belong to a group like AA or you're a member of a church or synagogue, that can really help you as a support network. And if you're not, joining a group that's appropriate for you can also lighten your load. Nine, engage, excite, and delight mode. While we tend to want to shut down and retreat when we feel that we're in crisis fatigue or that we're experiencing internal pressure. That's the flight part of the fight or flight mode. And sometimes we do need to hit pause and take some you know, quiet time to ourselves. But getting into something that engages your sense of curiosity or wonder can shift you from being in survival mode to a more relaxed inner state. Marilee Adams, PhD, calls this curious mind a learner mindset, which allows a challenging situation to become an opportunity to learn or experience something new. Curiosity expands your options for how to solve problems and often resolves them more quickly and easily. The next time you find yourself triggered by a stressful situation, rather than retreating in fear or getting activated into a reactive, agitated mode, Take a deep breath and try asking yourself these few questions. What's really happening here? What else might be going on that I'm not seeing? What's interesting about this situation? And what's one thing I can do to get involved or to make a difference? And remember, you can just head over to avivaram.com forward slash 170 and you'll see those questions. So next time you're facing a challenging situation that makes you feel panicked or anxious, use some breathing slow your roll, maybe get outside for a minute, and then come back in and ask yourself those questions. Being more interested in what's going on activates this mode called excite and delight. So we tend to think about fight or flight, but now you know that there are other modes that you can intentionally move into. Tend and befriend, excite and delight. Because it gives you a gentle, healthy boost of cortisol and adrenaline, you feel the same level of alertness and awareness as you do in fight or flight, but it feels good and it can benefit you by boosting your cognitive function and your immunity in a positive way. Some simple ways to engage, excite, and delight are listening to music, studying a new language or something new, going to museums, or even just looking at art books, reading and studying things of interest to you, and again, my favorite, dancing. Number 10, act. Singer and social activist Joan Baez once said that the antidote to despair is action. Essentially, crisis fatigue is a feeling of despair, helplessness, and hopelessness. Acting can help us feel more empowered, engaged, and hopeful rather than paralyzed. Find something, even if it's just one small thing, that does excite you so that you're engaging your excite and delight and that you can get involved with that you feel you can contribute to and make some change, whether volunteering in your community, supporting a political campaign, or getting involved in a local network that supports the change you'd like to see and be in the world. 
And finally, number 11, find a therapist. If you're struggling to cope or you're finding all of it too much to handle on your own, this is nothing to be ashamed of. And there is help out there in the form of therapists who can help you to reframe your thinking, make shifts in your life, or get medical support for mental health if needed. Just like talking to a friend can help, simply the act of having a therapist to turn to can be transformative. And there are many forms of therapy to choose from, ranging from traditional talk therapy to more body-oriented somatic therapy to art and music therapy options. Over at avivaram.com forward slash 170, under point 11, find a therapist, you'll find links to two good articles, one on mental health resources, another on how to find a therapist that's right for you. For me, I engage in therapy in an ongoing way. It is really helpful for me. I talk with my therapist about all kinds of things, challenges I might be experiencing in helping a patient, challenges I might be experiencing in feeling confidence around something in my business or as a mother or in my my long-term marriage, my partnership. It's, again, a really important tool, and there's so many resources out there. As I've gotten a bit older, I've realized just how easy it is for so many of us to unwittingly stress our lives away. And there are plenty of opportunities for it these days. But I also realized that taking care of myself is a radical act of rebellion against a world that's threatening to destroy our very basic well-being. Happier is healthier, and that's not a luxury. It's meant to be our natural state. Staying chronically in a stress response really doesn't help us much. In fact, it just makes us irritable, tired, and unhappy, and potentially sick as we pay for the consequences of stress overload with our health. I've also learned that I can choose the mode that I respond to in stress. So I can curl up and feel like running away. I can get activated and fight, which is my more natural predisposition. Or I can choose to go into hitting pause tending and befriending, exciting and delighting, moving my body, meditating, breathing, getting out in nature. Keeping your health intact, especially in undeniably demanding times, requires a commitment to prioritizing your well-being and intentionally doing things that build your resilience. This starts with realizing that you deserve, even when there's crisis going on in the world, to be happy and healthy. We all do. With some practice, you can use the new and more intentional stress responses I've shared with you to consciously shift your body's reaction and your emotional reaction from alarm to calm and build your resilience even in the face of the storms you're facing in life. I invite you to join me in flipping the switch on how you think you're supposed to respond to stress and choosing something radically different like phoning a friend, especially in these times when we all need each other so much. Thank you for joining me and see you next time on Health. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram And go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.